You've found the Virtually Possible podcast. Join the discussion on future of work, organizational design, and personal growth. Welcome, everyone, to a historic episode of the Virtually Possible podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome my first female guest, Francine Kidding, a rock star and a co-founder of Remote Control. Remote Control is a London-based consulting founded in response to the global shift of the workforce to remote setting. Fran and Liz, Liz, who's the other co-founder, are working with companies and their leadership to ease the transition for teams and create long-term strategies with their clients that will support them in those constantly changing circumstances. Welcome, Fran. Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolute pleasure. And thanks for having me, Maria. I'm, like I said, I'm very happy because I finally get a female representation on the podcast. So that's awesome. And before we focus on the 2020 reality that clearly doesn't want to escape us, I thought it would be great to hear a little bit about your story that led you to join Liz earlier this year. Uh, You had some interesting experiences in your career, ranging from working in the investment banking sector, which we all know is huge in London, but you also became a professional chef. So I wanted to hear more about how you got into finance and then how you decided to explore the culinary world as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So by and large, uh, 15 years uh, working within 15 years experience across a bit of a jack of all trades, as you see from my chef experience. But most of my experiences uh, within financial services, I started off uh, a sales role and moved into business development. I think throughout with with 12 years in the same industry, I had a really great opportunity to move across sectors. So I've worked in PR, marketing, uh, moving into project management and change management. And then while I was probably about three years ago, I was within still working within financial services and absolutely loving my hobbies outside of work, like cooking and I wanted to give myself, actually I wanted to set myself a goal and uh, work in a project that was outside of uh, financial services and absolutely love cooking, love eating. I would definitely wouldn't call myself uh, a professional chef, but maybe a cook that has just, just decided to learn the technical side of cooking. So I went to uh, one day a week for almost a year. I went to uh, college And I was taught from scratch how to do everything from, you know, how to hold a knife properly, how how to cook all the sauces, how to prepare the meals. And that all ended in in a MasterChef style uh, cook off over five hours where you were then awarded with uh, a level two in in professional cookery. So that's like that's the passion project outside of financial services. But taking it back to how I got to remote control. So my background being within finance and I've been looking for a a while now to pivot my role into a more community focused company I I guess outside of financial services I've got a a large network of friends and family that have started their own businesses and Mm -hmm. I've also admired the grit and all the determinations of startups and been speaking about potentially moving into that world. At the same time, uh, Liz, my co-founder, is working within the arts and she's working within the production side. And we've had lots of conversations about starting up her own business. So this was all happening then around the time of when COVID hit. And Mm -hmm. we thought, well, 
we see a real opportunity here to merge our skill sets and, and build a business around remote working, mostly because we both absolutely love the whole remote work setup. Our families are based in other countries, so we see that as a real bonus being, being able to work from anywhere. We loved the productivity side of it, the more focus, but sorry for probably waffling a bit here. No, go ahead, go ahead. It's all very interesting. I'd say when COVID happened and everybody was forced into the remote work setup, we spoke to a lot of people about the idea and we found that a lot of people were really struggling with the remote setup. There was a lot of issues that were coming out of it. And because we we really thrived in it, we thought, well, this is a business that we could build. It could be community driven and we can help businesses and people improve the remote setup. And, and that's when we started uh, Remote Control. That was this year. And we've been working and uh, speaking to as many people as possible to find out how we can help. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Um, like every startup story also your story is very interesting and we're gonna dive more into it a little bit later but before we do I found that aspect of you being involved in change management very interesting and I think I wanted to touch upon this because we haven't had anyone who's worked in this capacity on the podcast and I wanted maybe for you to give us a quick lesson on change management really what are the tools what are the methods how to do it well more so than just attack the problem or kind of put out the fire when it happens like have a little bit more forward thinking more strategy around it so maybe we could start with the basics what is change management about Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess with just a, a little bit of a, a background on how I got into change management, I guess having had all of the experience across different sectors within finance, I had the benefit of knowing how teams work and how they talk to each other. So um, I think that's why the role was a good fit for me uh, when I worked within financial services. And that's the kind of key thing that came out of that and what I would share with anyone else. You have to uh, have an understanding if there's change management of how your change is affecting all areas of the business. And to get that understanding, when you have that understanding, you can then explain why you're making the change to people that are you're implementing the change for. So I would say if anyone's looking to implement change in the business, you need to tell your teams and your people why change is happening. You need to build up confidence and trust in your teams that you're doing this for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So for example, you will tell them about the change early doors and get buy-in from people, be willing to answer questions, be open about answering those questions from the get-go and communicating the change to your people to say that it's what what the benefits will be for the business and for your teams. I think they're the, the it goes back to communication really. And I think that's like the central area for success to, to manage change properly. I always find it fascinating that you can have all of those methods and tools and, and best practices. And at the end of the day, they always boil down to just being as honest as you can and as open as you can so that people can follow you and people can trust that you have their best interest at heart. Because without that, no elaborate revolution or no elaborate change really can be successful. And it seems like that is that ability to understand that you just have to be very in tune with your people 
is probably one of the most important skills that any CEO can have actually and can acquire. Absolutely, I agree. And I think that trust factor is pretty huge. And when people trust that you will help them along the change, you'll give them the time to implement the change properly. Mm -hmm. When they see that there's a robust plan in place and it's not left to one team in particular, it's not left to one person to implement the change, that all helps with delivering it and and maintaining it. There's less chance of of huge projects failing Mm -hmm. when everybody's bought into it. Was there a big project that you were a part of that was especially challenging when you were involved in change management? Uh, yeah, I would say one of the areas would have been uh, what there's a merger, company merger, and and you're adapting to change within bringing two different uh, styles of businesses together. So you need to, again, be mindful uh, that it's not the previous way of doing things. It's a, it's a happy medium mm-hmm. and you have to listen to both parties um, to get the right, the right fit. It's almost, I would say, uh, with a, with change management or or certainly within a company merger, it's like starting a new business. I was um, just gonna but, say, yeah, that that it just feels like you're just bringing two new founding companies, and then you just create a new company. And it's a very, I think, it's a very important message then also to send to both teams that we're just creating a better version of both of our uh, basic versions and not to say, you know, we're sacrificing our identity or anything like that. We're just embedding that into this new concept that we're trying to put together. It's like making a baby, basically. (laughs) And it's like the opportunity is there then to pick the best of both worlds and okay, what was really working well in uh, here and what was working not so well and that's, again, where the open and honest feedback platform is really key in implementing change. And you would have to, the more you have that and the more you can evolve your plan and adapt it, the better it would be. And if you think of change management within large projects could take weeks or months, but you get this one really great piece of, oh, this actually, what we were implementing here isn't working or it's working in my team and it's not working in this team, then if you can adapt it and it really optimizes the whole process and it makes it easier to be successful, if that makes sense. So in terms of company structure, then you would have that change management um, team or officer working directly with the um, C-level people or is this team distributed into the business teams or how does that work? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I know that it could, the role could fit in depending on what the business structure is. Mm-hmm. There could be within a smaller company, it might fit into within operations, within a larger organization, you would may have like a more project management role for it. But I would say the one thing is it would have to be cross-functional as well. So you would need to be able to deal with C-level and also be able to have your allies and your advocates for the change within the team level and the key thing to make it run smoothly would be to have a change committee and not just have uh, one type of person on there but have a diverse group within the change committee so you're thinking uh, different roles you'd have different roles different genders different levels um, everybody like not just uh, one senior management representative um, because they change affects everyone and you want everyone to feel like they're collaborating with the change rather than just being told what to do Mm. in the best case scenario 
you get people from within the company who kind of want to volunteer or seem like have a very diverse perspective on things and then can carve out some time out of their uh, work week to work on the change project. Yeah, that the point you mentioned yeah. there about carving out some time, that's what really needs to happen. So mm. one of the common mistakes is not giving people the time to implement this change and to offer training and workshops and that can be a bit of a mistake because they new things take time to learn and if you don't give people time and also time out as well from all the learning you know how it goes if you are learning a new language or or a new skill your head is killing you by the end of the day with uh, all Mm -hmm. this new knowledge so um, in order for you to feel comfortable you, you give give your employees some time out following all of this change so that they can then feel confident to to teach their team or their colleagues. Yeah, I think this is a common problem, right? That the leadership decides on making a change. Uh, they just announce it being implemented without A, getting feedback, B, giving people time and C, really stress testing or kind of, or, or at least testing to a, uh, on a, in a smaller batch if this change makes sense or if this new process makes sense. And that usually creates a lot of friction. Uh, But would you say that there are other common mistakes that people make? Um, I think they, uh, well, on your point, actually, I'd say one common mistake is not listening to other options, other ways of doing it. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. would be uh, that. So I think maybe in startups, they have a good mindset maybe for adapting to change and, and pivoting their, their path of, uh, so they might be open to evolving the plan very quickly and that can help. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas larger organizations uh, might struggle with that. And so that having that op- willingness to, to listen to the feedback and, and evolve the plan helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lack of funding usually helps. When you have no money, (laughs) you have to be very agile (laughs) and you have to be very creative. Um, So that is a helpful, uh, in the short term, helpful mindset to be like that. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit of that training on change management, on remembering that, first of all, it's good to lay out options. It's good to get feedback, good to get um, a lot of people to work on the project from all teams or all, all, all sides of the organization, starting with the front lines all the way up to the management so that you can really get a full spectrum of opinions and make sure that whatever you're trying to do, especially if it's a big change or especially if it's a merger, let's say, that it really gives everyone enough room to be able to adapt to that change. And it's really designed in a way that um, generates success more so than stress. But on the topic of stress, (laughs) because we're in a very stressful year, and I wanted to go back to remote control and how you guys are now working to alleviate as much of it as possible through your support and through your consulting. You mentioned before that, that the bigger vision is to create a community-based company that leverages the experience of of those community members and and helps create best practices, how to do it efficiently, how to work um, in a productive way, regardless of the setting. In the long run, what do you envision for the company uh, to become? 
the world of remote working, I've been amazed at so far at the community focus and at the global community feeling. That's how we met and mm -hmm. I've been yeah, meeting really amazing people. I think starting in a remote work setup, you you think, oh, where am I? How am I going to meet people? I uh, don't have the office to go to um, all of these misconceptions. And it's so far been a wonderful a community of people that are willing to help, willing to provide feedback and open to learning. And I think we would like to have all of those qualities on a platform or at least be part of a platform that offers them. And so that's our vision for the longer term. But at the moment, we, we see that where we can add the most value is working on one to, with businesses that are really mm -hmm. struggling with this all of a sudden shift to a remote work and what they're doing and it's like where they're replicating just the office experience in a remote and I think that's where in the short and medium term we would work improving setups and also learning and, and evolving our skills to help others along the way that's the sort of the more medium term but in the long term it would be connecting into this global community of remote workers and, mm -hmm. and, and learning I really didn't think about the impact of my setting right now and actually what I'm doing and you're doing and we are all in this remote setup I guess for the longest time that notion of being isolated if you're working remotely was held so true by so many people, even mm. though I have to say that ever since I moved into my EIR role and started working on this initiative, I think I've met more people than <laughs> in this in this very short span of time than in the uh, last year of, of my work, even though I obviously love everyone that I've met working in gaming, but it was mostly the same. We would mostly meet at the same conferences. So it would have a lot of the same faces, all lovely faces, obviously, but there's not um, there, there's not a big influx of new connections if you stay within one industry for a long period of time. And this uh, last period, even though we are in lockdown, even we're kind of stripped of of the classic office environment has been so fruitful in terms of meeting new people. So I think if we learned anything in the last six, seven months, is that absolutely where you sit makes no difference. If you really want to meet new people, you just need to reach out. And most of the time, they're as wonderful as you are and respond and they're happy to come on the podcast. So yeah, these are just such great experiences from the convenience of your own home. Yeah, that's true. And I, I agree. I completely agree. And the point that you, you mentioned there about getting experience outside of your industry, and I think that is uh, that is also really important and having... The opportunity to speak with people and network people from various sectors and industries is in itself really rewarding and also you can you realize that your skill sets are are, are transferable and you can speak to people to learn oh well I need to I have this gap in my skill set what could I do and uh, I find that um a, com a common uh, outlook for the remote working world is that everybody wants to improve their knowledge and improve their their working day and, and own their day more and, and having that as a common goal means that people are, are very willing to to help you also improve yeah I guess once you find a good flow and you realize that you can get your work done in a productive way and it leaves you more time to explore even uh, more interesting parts 
of life, whether this is a hobby, whether this is learning a new skill, like you said, uh, or just spending time with people, which I find to a large extent, probably the one of the most valuable things you can do in life. That's so powerful because the most valuable thing we have in life is time. So if you can help people, if you can help them get that control back, help them again, become the owners of their own time, then that's such a great thing that you guys are set out to do. Oh, thank so you. Awesome. Well, I'm going to borrow a, a quote from one of my favorite uh, motivational speakers, Mel Robbins. And she says, if you don't own the day, it will own you. And I always feel like uh, in my remote working day, I own the day. I can, I can craft the day like I want. I can optimize it. I can incorporate like when I need to go for lunch, when, if I'm going to exercise. And I think that's the beauty of remote working that you can, structure your day around your lifestyle and it is unfortunate that uh, a lot of people have been forced into remote working because of COVID and they're not seeing the full benefits of if you're working fully remote you're able to work and you can go to the coffee shop or you can you've got the option to work in a co-working space and, and I hope that like this will through time um, that everyone will see when when things return to some sense of normality that that mm-hmm. remote working will stay and they can benefit from it even more. Yeah, I think the big challenge that every a lot of people have faced was the fact that, like you said, they were fully moved to remote setting, but with no change to the operational setup or no change to the ways of how output was supposed to be produced. And I think that that is the very frustrating part because if you have the comfort of let's say having enough space in your apartment where your uh, kids are not on top of your head and your partner is not constantly also on calls and oh, yeah <laughs> and it's very yeah and it's very uh, convenient and that's great but a lot of people did not have that comfort and they were still asked to make sure that they are saying just as productive as with as when they were able to sit in a quiet office. And then the other thing that is important is that there's so many intricacies that come with that change, depending on the role, depending on the team, depending on the company, and depending on the sector. And it's not a one size fits all solution. Uh, at least this is what I've been seeing across all of my uh, all of my friends and my network and, and just, you know, internet Uh, of things. So I guess what I wanted to ask in line of that was, how are you guys going about this? I completely agree with you. It is not a one size fits all solution. And there is no rigid framework that you can Mm. put somebody into because what works for one business certainly might not work for another business. And that's why our approach that we take is based sort of like a three phased approach. But front and foremost is speaking to people and finding out what is going on with the company and where the pain points are and what changes we can implement. But just to, to go back to they have our approach to making remote working more sustainable for our clients is to, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, have an audit of what the business setup is like currently for remote. So we speak to, we run surveys, we speak to key members of staff, we find out how happy the employees are, what the pain points are. So 
most companies, like I said before, are in that we've spoken to are trying still trying to replicate that office setup. So there is a lot of there's a lot of discomfort there, a lot of long Zoom calls, a lot of they're replacing all that FaceTime with screen time. So we'll take an audit of everything that's happening there, what the day looks like. We listen is the mm-hmm. is a big thing. Once we have all of our research uh, we would then take an approach where we would look at to consult the recommendations for change again because it's not a one-size-fits-all solution and we look at the budget of the business Um, some uh, companies may have platforms and digital tools in place that they don't want to replace with the latest digital tools Mm -hmm. so we will uh, work with the business to make appropriate recommendations so we want to make it also sustainable so we would look at having things that are going to help the business be successful in the long run not just to get through this short period of pain no quick like it's it's a long-term like it's a long-term shift once we'd have that consultation and make suggestions for change then unlike traditional consultancy where we will say okay see you later these are all the changes you need to make we will then embed ourselves mm-hmm. actually we throughout the whole process we will embed ourselves in the business and work with uh, the key allies and management and teams to implement the change that we're getting the company to trust us because we have their best interests in heart mm-hmm. um Sorry, go ahead. So I was going to say that in a sense, you guys are an interim change committee coming in um, and becoming uh, one with the organization and leading the change, but also getting buy-in from the main stakeholders. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, you could, and, and you may have seen quite frequently that there's head of remote roles coming up. You would not have seen that a few years ago. We would probably position ourselves as similar to, we, we're there to to improve your remote setup. We work with the teams. It is it mm-hmm. is change and it is project management, but having, we, we'll give you the insights on the tools that you need and and also what will work for you and then there's also the feedback that we would provide and we check in and um, hopefully have an ongoing relationship with with clients to see what Mm -hmm. else how these goals evolve I was going to ask also about the surveys and the results or the answers that you are getting when you speak to the stakeholders. Do you find that when they're being presented to the management or leadership, are they surprised by the answers that they're getting? Is there any disconnect between what they were thinking the situation is like versus what the employees are saying? Uh, there can be yes and I guess the beauty of the surveys are they're anonymous so they and they uh, mm-hmm. there's a trust that's built with with the employees that we would deliver the information in the right way to management there has been occasions where you think that most people might be happy in their remote work setup but in fact when you dig a bit deeper they might need their equipment sorted out or they might need further training or there's a, a isolation issues um, and all of these are things that come out from uh, speaking on one-to-ones and also in the survey so yeah there can be um, a surprise for management but I mm-hmm. think the other with uh, our clients that we work with there's always a willingness to adapt fix the pain points mm-hmm. which is great and to, to improve uh, there's always a willingness to improve yeah, I think this is probably the first best sign of the organization willing to make changes is mm. hiring you uh, because exactly. it just shows that that they're recognizing the issue. They're recognizing the opportunity to make it much better for the team and, and for their staff. 
Um, is there something that you thought you would approach differently, but now you see that, let's say, that part of the work needs to be addressed in a completely different way? Um, I, I would say they, the one trend that we're finding, and, and init- when we set off on this journey at first, uh, it wasn't the top priority, but there's a real desire to preserve the culture of the companies. At first you think, okay, you're moving to a remote setup. What digital tools do you need? How's your chair set up? Uh, what's your physical environment like? But quite, we were really surprised at the amount of concern that businesses had over how their culture uh, would be damaged by this lack of face-to-face time. And I think that this is a huge focus for us now to work with teams and companies to preserve the culture because it's not something that you can just send the values of the company and say okay this is our culture it has to be worked on day to day it evolves and I think for us one of our key missions is to help companies build a a fantastic remote culture and Mm. and that's that's something that come up again and again and it was initially quite surprising for us. I would say probably one of the big trends for the next year is going to be trying to redesign the the company culture frameworks and really the need to innovate on how that can be fostered and really lived by people when they're not interacting so much. I find this to be a very, very challenging part of every organization because most uh, companies are still holding on to the hope of being able to revert as quickly as possible and hopefully forget that it all happened and just remember it as that short nightmare of 2020 and then being able to go back to the old setup. You know, if the pandemic being prolonged and no vaccine in sight, we are looking into it being a much longer process. And so on that note, I would want to ask if you found any um, interesting examples of companies that are really doing good work in terms of preserving their culture or maybe innovating on how to make sure that the culture further evolves, even if not only uh, stay intact. We certainly have. And and I think the companies that focus on preserving and also growing and nurturing the culture are going to have that competitive advantage over businesses that don't address this. Because like you said, the remote working is here to stay. And even if we're in a scenario next year where the businesses do return to the office, people that are seeing the benefits of remote working now are going to say, actually, I like this setup. And they can be the key people, you know, they, what if your key people of the business want to want to adapt to this new way of working? So um, it's in the interest of companies to be proactive about this approach and designing the culture uh, in a remote first environment. We, I've seen examples with more focus on less, well, there's going to be less time together, but better quality time. So there are away days being organized, got company retreats that will be organized. Certainly when we're all able to meet face to face, I definitely see other plans being put in place for quarterly offsite and more uh, allowing staff more time off of meetings as well. So they're more focused on asynchronous work 
and, and giving, trusting your employees to work in their own time and, and, and craft their own day. Their innovations, uh, that certainly with companies we've been speaking to, they're willing to invest more time in protecting the culture and encouraging people to go out and, and learn a new skill and to train. So that, that's an example of some of the initiatives. I think with COVID certainly curtailing some of the face-to-face ideas, but for now there's other ways. Another example is uh, promoting wellness as well it, within the workplace. Mm. So offering workshops, um, giving people access to to apps to, to help them switch off which is a, a big issue at the moment with people remote working, actually ending their day you know, properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say even having establishing a policy that limits the time that you spend daily on Zoom calls, especially if you're in a role that is both internal and external facing, where you need to spend time on the internal calls and then you have to speak to your other partners. That is a very good first base kind of policy where you at least take care of people not having to be constantly focused on that green dot in the middle of your screen and also taking time away from that asynchronous work that you mentioned we only have a limited time in the day and if you sit on a zoom call or a multitude of them for six hours of the day and then you still have, let's say, six hours of your work to be done, then you end up being 12 hours in front of the screen, which it's not a it's not a greatest habit that remote setup has brought onto us. But there are simple things, right, that are very effective to say, we only do this many meetings in that time frame. That should already help a little bit. So that, that's a great advice, actually, very simple to introduce, but very effective for teams if you if you can afford it obviously absolutely so yeah and i've cool. seen just this week google have introduced the no meeting weeks i think they're implementing it at the end of the year where they it's a company-wide no meetings to give people time to to reset so i might i see that will probably happen a bit more often across mm-hmm. uh, companies that like giving blocks of time to deep to do deep work and you, you touched on the uh, policies. Uh, we, we're working with a number of clients who are uh, putting a lot of time into um, having a written first approach. Um, so it is this shift to, you know, you can't walk over to somebody in the office and ask them a question about their how they do things. And that's the one thing that you need to be really mindful of if you're moving to a remote first approach. So by writing down the process and having this in a sort of company handbook and starting this ever evolving handbook of how things are done, you're setting the company up for success. And it's also helping the culture because it's uh, creating uh, the, the way that the things are done. There's no deviation and it's open to be evolved. So I think all of that, that's a one really great way to, to help the companies like, be successful in the remote work. Mm. It might be, it must be quite a bit of daily work no? now that you have so much of surveying and, and figuring out how to package this back to the key stakeholders. It is, but it's enjoyable, I guess, because it's um, something that we're both really passionate about. The, the benefit of speaking to um, businesses that are open and they want and they're willing to invest in their people is that we can, from the get go, give some really great tips to improve the current setup and and then uh, at the same time work and implement the medium 
and long term plans. But yeah, it's uh, it is it is busy, but I think it's also super rewarding, which is why we wanted to to get into mm-hmm. that was our whole mission to sort of help. We if you're helping somebody do their job uh, more effectively and and improve their work life balance, and then it, it's all good. <laughs> That's great to hear. And do you have any of your own personal tips that you would want to share in terms of the remote setup that you think are super important for you to stay balanced and be able to recharge quickly and and come back to work the next day? Yeah, absolutely. I I probably always, my husband will say I'm always banging the drum about this one, but (laughs) I think exercise is key. It sounds like really simple, but if you are getting up and exercising, it for me is an absolute must do. And it's a, it really helps structure my day. And I find that having that built into my morning routine of getting up and having that time for me before I start my work day is just, it sets the tone. Uh, The other thing I find really helpful is obviously like uh, speaking to people and communicating, not just with, okay, what with Liz, my co-founder, but taking a break, taking some time out, going to call my mom have a cup of tea, uh, just disconnect and, and ha- take regular breaks and actually take them and move away from the desk. I don't have a dog, unfortunately. If I did, I'd probably go out and uh, walk mm. the dog, <laughs> hopefully someday. And then I guess the other final thing is to set out your day before you start it. I use a, a, a quick journal. I put what my priorities are for the day. Uh, how I'm feeling if you know what my object like what my key thing to get sorted by the day uh, those things I find super helpful and to just breathe if it all gets a bit too much <laughs> <laughs> they're all great tips I'm, I'm I'm not so regular with um, journaling but when I do it it's very I, I feel that it's very good for me I recently only started using a to-doist for really for my to-do lists because I would always just either note them note the things that I have to do in my journal or mm-hmm. try to remember them and put them in notes or it was all over the place and I think that really helps me also just structure the the things that I really have have to do um, and definitely exercise exercise is sleep and exercise is number one and two and I have days when I work out at 5 p.m if there's a coach that I really really like uh, hosting an online workout in the afternoon but it really takes a lot of my patience and awareness to be okay with putting this off until the afternoon and be like okay you're still gonna get your workout because it's such an important part of what I do um, then sometimes I have to go for a quick walk in in the morning at least to be like okay you moved a little bit like you got some time for yourself so now you can go and and work and do all the fun stuff that podcasting and reading and learning is about but I would not trade working out for for anything else and what do you like to do to work out what's your favorite what's your favorite you said that you've got a favorite right yeah, right now, well, because everything is uh, closed, I'm doing mostly um, high intensity uh, or weight training with my favorite Berlin company, Beat81. That's a big shout out to them oh, keeping me cool. safe and sane. <laughs> it's not a paid advertisement, but uh, they actually have a very cool offer that you pay 40 euros for a month of online workouts unlimited. So you just can join morning, midday, evening, and they have all sorts of workouts 
right now. So it's not only high intensity and not only weight. I actually have weights at home so I can do it at home, uh, yes. but they also do mobility and stretching. So it's like a little bit of yoga so you can get a break from that high intensity. So I do mostly that. And then other, other than that, I bike and I run. I hate running, but I just make myself run because I think it's, it's an important skill if you have to run away from someone. So <laughs> I just, I like to have that in my, in my back pocket and should something happen. So that's what I do. What, what do you do? <laughs> uh, pretty similar to you, actually. I do, I do my yoga in the morning. I, am, I mix it up because I can't, I used to run all the time, but I just can't, my knees can't deal with it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. I used to, when I worked in the in centre of London, I used to run home a few days a week and I really like that for switching off, but I had to find something else. So maybe a, mix a couple of runs in with uh, weight training and I with um, resistance bands as well. With living in a flat, I managed to make that space work for me. So uh, they, my living room can also be my gym, can also be my chill-out area. So it's, uh, yeah, I've got had yeah. to get creative with that, with my workouts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do the same. But yeah, resistance bands are a great first way to create like a mini gym experience because you can really have the same effect as if you had kettlebells or actual dumbbells. So I recommend resistance bands to anyone if they don't want to occupy a lot of space in their house, but really this is just so easy um, to use. So so as we're coming slowly, slowly to an end, I still wanted to get your take on the future and what are the major trends that you think are going to take over in 2021? Well, I think, um, well, what we covered on earlier, which is definitely the death of the nine to five. Everybody is, seems to be getting into the routine of crafting their own day, um, you know, splitting their day if they need to, working when they're at their most productive um, so I definitely see that that is the future of work and they, that is something that I really see people not going back to the way things were. I see this is, this is the new norm. It's working for people and flexible working will become uh, the future of work, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you have um, a distributed team or distributed partners that you work with, it really does not sometimes fit your business agenda to work from nine to five because really there's sometimes days that you might need to work six to nine and then 2 p.m to six right again let's say something crazy but it might be one day where you're like okay I can do this like that because there's a special project and just having that flexibility super important for people to not feel frustrated that you're taking away from both their morning and evening and the whole day. So yeah, I agree. I do really hope this is this is a death of nine to five for everyone's benefit. Me too. Me too. I was thinking the the other area of that we and we've we've discussed this would definitely be the global the globe the community that we work in will widen. So the demographics will be wider. There'll be different viewpoints. If people are moving to remote work setup you don't just have to employ people from the same city. You can, you don't have to see who's close to the physical office. And that will be the key to opening a more diverse workforce. And I think that can be only beneficial. So that, that would, I see that areas, different viewpoints, um, you'd have different ideas shared. Um, and that, I think the community of your workplace will widen quite a lot. 
Yeah, and then think about all of those um, retreats and all of those offsites when they actually happen with people being able to see each other. How amazing are those interactions going to be? Because if people are don't get to see each other on a daily basis in the offices, but then get to spend quality, intense time together, those will be so rewarding. Maybe going to get lucky in that way that we will be able to craft better relationships because of this terrible time and we will finally start noticing how important the quality of our interactions is so i'm quite hopeful that this is going to turn out pretty okay for us <laughs> <laughs> i hope so too and i i think i agree that they the social interactions we may not see people as often but when we do we'll we'll be more present and we'll be more uh willing to put the phone aside and and actually connect and and then when you have that connection your with your team certainly you'll be more productive you'll be more supportive and uh, I think that overall that would really help with people and their job satisfaction so can I, I see it as a positive way forward it's it should be much easier now to put down your phone because nothing's going on people are not <laughs> traveling they're not yeah. partying so I mean not in Europe at least so you can very easily put out, put down your phone and, and focus on, on the interesting part of life, which is other people. And um, so hopefully that will also cure a little bit of FOMO in people. Is there anything else that you wanted to maybe mention in terms of trends? Uh, well, I've just, I guess on the flip side of uh, putting, well, also putting down your phone, I think there will be a lot of emphasis spent on people and how they unplug. So we've got this sort of hyper connectivity and mm-hmm. uh, various distractions. And I think the future of work will be on learning some of those bad habits that we've got now. So how to do deep focus work. Um, there'll be a lot, I reckon there'll be a lot more training with how mm-hmm. to to do that so that we're not we would do working less but it's better quality and we are the output is yeah i think there's a lot to be said for for all of the distractions that are out there i see that that's a big theme that's a great trend to mention focus on retraining people how to be less multitasking and more quality tasking if that's a thing it's always very interesting to talk with people who obviously have their own perspective to see what ideas can actually even spark from you know talking about where you see the trends going what where I see the trends going and I think this always creates this new again like a new bundle of ideas that you can explore so it's all super valuable to hear and I made some notes to to make sure to explore those as well and see where the companies are going Oh, great. Thank you, Maria. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, to, uh, it's great to hear your words of wisdom as well. So I really appreciate it. Thanks oh. for taking the time out. They're mostly words. I'm not sure of, of wisdom, but <laughs> <laughs> but before I let you go, we will do the virtually possible roulette. You get to choose three numbers and answer three random questions from one to 10. Oh, okay. I'm going to go at seven, please. Seven uh, yep. is the best advice you've ever gotten. Um, well, I think I gave it, I mentioned it earlier, but it is uh, put one foot in front of the next. Um, I, or maybe I didn't, but uh, put one. Yeah, you foot did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually the actual quote is put one dumb foot in front of the next and be prepared to change course. And I always like to think of that whenever I get a bit of overwhelm as in, okay, just pair it back to what do I need to do next and don't 
freak out about the, the bigger picture right now. Just do this one thing that's going to get you one step forward. I think it's the it's advice I like to go by. Even the smallest step forward is so much better than not moving at all. So whatever you can do, if it's a tiny, tiny um, step, so you're already in the new and the new space and that maybe will propagate you to a new uh, situation so that's awesome Absolutely. what's the other what's your second uh, number i'll go at three please what's the best thing that came out of the new normal for you this new paradigm uh my business um <laughs> 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 uh, the opportunity to work with my uh, amazing co-founder liz and and the opportunity to create something of our own that is also mm -hmm. got a bigger picture of networking and connecting with like-minded people and having the chance to speak to yourself and and to people in the that all share the same ideas and I think that's that's a massive yeah I feel really grateful that it's presented this opportunity yeah this is such an exciting time like as as terrible as it is, it's so exciting as well. There's so many things happening. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to be able to, like you said, have an interaction with you and learn about all the new businesses and everything that people are trying to build and really to serve the community and the, the, the larger network of other professionals. It should really, I think, fill people with a lot of hope that we're not as terrible <laughs> as we sometimes think that we're really trying to do so many great things to support each other and just makes our make our lives a little bit better at least very interesting time to be alive it is um, it is indeed all right last one okay i'll go with 10 why not 10 the most important skill for success in the remote environment listening i listening. think yeah, because if we've seen, I think everybody is actually upskilled. Everyone is upskilled in their listening just by default, by going to a remote environment. We've got Zoom calls where we have to pause and we can't speak over each other. And, and we've, we have to listen to, we have to be more, uh, more intentional in, mm -hmm. in what we say. And so listening with intent and giving people space to talk I'd say it's a, it's a good skill and it, it's, it would be, it's a key to success in uh, certainly in the remote setup. If I think about even our conversation right now, that the fact that we're both tuned in and really listening to one another, it makes this experience, well, not as great as, in, as the in-person one, but very intense nonetheless. So you can really create a very meaningful and important experiences if you really are willing to listen to one another. That's it. Well. <laughs> okay, well, that wraps up our VP Roulette segment. Uh, thank you so much, Fran, for being on the podcast and taking out so much time out of your afternoon. It was so great to hear uh, where you guys are going right now and what, you know, what are the newest trends in the town of London. Hopefully you guys will come out maybe, you know, as you expand your business to Berlin and help uh, some companies also in Berlin get back control over their remote environment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is the dream. Absolutely. And Maria, thank you. Thank you for your time. And it's been really great fun to, to speak with you. And I will hold you to that. I love Berlin. It's one of my favorite cities. Uh, so hopefully we can get out there at some stage and uh, yeah, and meet in person. But 
uh, let's keep in touch um, between yeah, now and then. Will. I would love to. I'm quite a skilled guide and I've been taking people on all the various sightseeing trips while they're in um, Berlin. So I'll be uh, more than honored to have you on, you know, on one of those and some weird rides around the city. So <laughs> that should be really fun. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. We will link to all the important uh, information about remote control and Fran in the show notes. So feel free to reach out if you need help and support with moving and creating a better remote work setup for your teams and for your companies. It's here to stay. So don't try to avoid it. It's an important thing to do to make sure that your employees are feeling fulfilled and satisfied and balanced so you can grow your business and margins and value.